What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silence in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, and that all may learn, and all be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission. As the law also says, if there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If any thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Well, imagine you're on a building site and one where there's order and your colleagues are listening to one another and everyone honors the different roles they have. There's the foreman giving instructions, the concrete lorry arrives, the rakers are in place, the concrete's poured, it's smoothed, and just by the side, the bricklayers waiting, so it's not time to start yet, and they're ready to go. Then imagine you're on another site and in this one, everyone's priority is to use the building skills they've got, how they want, and where they want. The pneumatic drill guy, the concrete, the hammer, the saw, all just going mad. Well, which house do you want to live in when it's built? Now, at first reading, our verses this morning, well, they might seem a bit dull because they're about order. They're about order when we gather together and when we speak to one another. We've seen Paul is really eager that we do speak. He wants us to be eager to prophesy, to speak words that build one another up. But he also wants our speech to be ordered. He wants it to be ordered so that we build one another up. I guess our knee-jerk reaction can be thinking, well, order is just not that exciting, and spontaneity and individualism, that's much more vibrant. And more and more our culture will say, well, self-expression, that is essential. What matters is that you're able to say what you think and that people listen to you. And so you've got TikTok and YouTube and other platforms and it's self-expression is key. And that's the attitude that's going on in some ways in Corinth as well. Self-promotion rather than selfless service. I found this book on my shelf this week. Um, it's called Religious or Christian by Professor O. Halsby, produced in the 1950s. And he points out that when the church takes on the values of the world rather than the values of the gospel, well, we get what he calls self-directed zeal. That's his phrase through the book, self-directed zeal. A zeal to be spiritual, but it's not on God's terms. 
It's not what God says is spiritual, it's what we want. Using gifts my way, as they were in Corinth. And so Paul says, no, zeal for spiritual things. Well, that listens to the apostolic word, and it pursues love, and it uses gifts to build up. So spiritual builders, well, they ask God for words to build. But spiritual builders are also orderly, because this building needs speaking, and it needs listening. Do you want to be living in the house built by the orderly builders or the me-first builders? Well, that's our first point. Spiritual builders are orderly. Verse 26. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. As we head into these verses and we see a list like that, well, it could be possible to be worried that, well, not all these things are happening in every meeting. Are we getting things wrong? But I think it's worth just remembering Paul's writing to correct the Corinthian church. And here in verse 26, where he's describing them rather than prescribing what we all have to do. And it must be the case there because he misses things out. For example, prayer is not on the list. And so this morning as we're thinking about things of order, we're not so much trying to work out the exact pattern that every church meeting has to look like. What we're doing is we're thinking about how do we use the gifts we have, and particularly tongues, and especially prophecy, in a way that really builds up. So Paul says, 26, when you come together, let all things be done for building up. Well, what does that look like when it comes to tongues then? Well, it's worth seeing through this passage three times there is the instruction to stay silent. So have a look at verse 28. If there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church. And then verse 30, when he's talking about prophecy, if a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. And then verse 34, the women should keep silent in the churches. And we're going to come to verse 34 and 35 later on, and we're going to think carefully about them, because it's important to see what they're not saying as well as what they are saying. But we can see here this word silence all the way through. Well, it can't mean never speak because it's always in the context of speaking and then listening. It's got this sense of a willing decision not to speak at a particular point for the sake of building up the church. And so when it comes to tongues, well, the key thing is only to speak when there's an interpretation available. So that's verse 27. If any speak in a tongue, let there be one, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let there be someone to interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. So we said last week, we thought about what tongues were, and we said, whilst we can't totally rule out the possibility that tongues could include angelic languages, we can be on the surest biblical grounds that they are human languages. We see in Acts 2, the other place where they're mentioned, this gift of languages are human languages. And we saw that speaking last week needs to be intelligible. In verse 13, if you just look across the page, Paul says, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret because speech that builds is intelligible. And to be intelligible, it needs to be heard. 
So Paul says, let there be only two or three, or at most three, and then each in turn. Not all at once, you wouldn't be able to hear, and not too much at once, you wouldn't be able to listen to it all. I had a good chat with a friend from a charismatic church a few weeks ago about these chapters, and they explained that in their church they would have a time for a few people to speak in tongues, and then they would ask if anyone had an interpretation, and if they did, then they'd hear it and they'd weigh it. And there was clear thought that had gone into trying to put these verses into practice in an ordered way. But it seems that verse 28 says that's not quite right. Verse 28 again, if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Paul says without knowing if there's someone that can interpret, well then choose not to speak because words that build up need to be intelligible. And so the answer, Paul says, well, is to pray for an interpretation. And perhaps that interpretation might look like someone bringing someone along who understands the language, and so the meaning can be known before it's shared. Or perhaps the tongue speaker prays for an interpretation or an interpreter, and God doesn't give that gift. Well, it seems then we're to thank God for the gift, and we're to be content, content to use it personally, in private, and it's not a gift for the gathering. So a decision not to speak, which is loving, which is spiritual, is behavior that builds up the church, tongues that build. And next prophecy that builds, verse 29. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all may be encouraged. We thought about a definition of prophecy last week as well. We saw it was not the authoritative word of the prophets and the apostles, like the Old Testament prophets or the scriptures in the New Testament. It doesn't have that authority. It's not bringing new revelation from God. But it does flow from scripture. So we said, well, we thought of it as speech that God enables, which takes what's heard and read and taught and considered in scripture and responds and applies it into the life of the church and to one another. And so Paul says, do ask God to give you words to say that will build up. Rather than worrying so much, am I a prophet? I think it's more asking God to give us words to say in response to his word that will build one another up. Paul says we want speaking, but we also want hearing. He says do it in an orderly way, one by one, so we can hear. And not too many different things all at once because, well, verse 30, we want to learn, that all may learn and be encouraged. It's ordered. There's speaking and there's hearing. And as I was thinking about this, I was reminded of the great theological book, Paddington Bear. In one story, Paddington decides to decorate his room and he opens the paint and he revs up the electric paint stirrer and he puts it in the can and you kind of know what's happened, what happens next. There's paint everywhere, but there's not a decorated room. Paul wants us earnestly to desire prophecy, but not Paddington style. He wants order, more like putting the brush in one at a time and then careful strokes on the wall, a well-decorated room. And so when it comes to prophecy, well, spiritual builders will be willing not to speak at times so they can learn. Or as someone put it to me this morning, 
maybe more bluntly, sometimes builders, sometimes spiritual builders shut up. Verse 30, if the revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged. I really do love this because it fits so well with what we've been seeing in the section in chapter 12, the unity and the equality of the body. Each member matters. Each has something to contribute. It holds us back from the temptation to speak for our own benefit and promote ourselves. that self-directed zeal. It guards against hogging the mic. It makes space for different members of the body to contribute, men and women, young and old. Maybe I have something really helpful to say but somebody else has something too. Well, I'm willing to hold back and listen so that the whole body builds together. And Paul says that's what prophets do. You see that in verse 32? The spirits of the prophets are subject to prophets. I think the spirits of the prophets here, it refers just to the person's own spirit. And the point is that prophets aren't self-promoting and domineering, but they listen to others. A humble attitude. So it's not just about, and it's not just about correcting the self-directed zeal of Corinth. It's the way the church is to be built at all times. It's God's way. Paul gives the reason, verse 33, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Tim read to us chapter three earlier, and we had it read last week, we've had it read this week again. And, and the reason is just to see that these verses that we're in in chapter 14 and the section 11 to 14, well, they're a correction in Corinth, but they're also in some ways a call to action. They're the call to action to put into practice the pattern of ministry that Paul models and he describes in chapter three. Chapter 3, verse 16, we've been thinking about it this morning, tells us the church is God's temple, the dwelling, the dwelling place of his Holy Spirit, precious to him. And we're building something that is precious to God. It belongs to God. And so spiritual builders must build in God's way. God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. The spirit is a spirit of love, not self-promotion. And so we'll be willing to speak and will be willing not to speak. Spiritual builders are orderly. But our second point, spiritual builders submit to scripture. And verse 29 right through to 38, I think unpack the principles for how to prophesy in an orderly way to build up the church. In verse 29, Paul gives a headline summary. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. And then he unpacks each half of that verse in turn. So let two or three prophets speak. Well, we've just looked at that in verses 30 through to 33. And then let the others weigh what is said. Well, that's unpacked from the second half of verse 33 down to verse 38. So what is weighing prophecy? Well, Paul doesn't give a lot of detail of the format here. So we're looking to understand the principles that we can then apply in the different settings and the different gatherings of the church. We saw the, same, the word for way has actually come up before in 1 Corinthians. It came up in chapter 11, describing discerning or judging rightly who we are as the body of Christ. So it's got this sense of, does it match up? Is what's being said matching up with the scriptures? Because the whole basis of what's spiritual in 1 Corinthians, well, it's grounded in listening to Paul's apostolic word. The desire for spiritual things is a desire for 
um, for God's word and the apostolic pattern of ministry. Prophecy flows from that word, and so it's to be weighed against it. And verse 37 underlines it. If anyone thinks that he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. Paul's saying his words have authority, the authority of Jesus' words. And prophets should listen to them. They submit to them. Scripture is the source from which prophecy flows, and it's also the foundation on which it's tested. And spiritual people will want that. Prophets will be pleased when their words are weighed. So verse 29, let others weigh what is said. But who then are these others who are going to be weighing? Well, I think actually as we look at verses 33 through to 35, we'll get a bit more sense of how this works. So we're on the handouts, we're at the point of where um, looking at men and women's roles, interdependent flourishing. From the second half of verse 33. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it's shameful for a woman to speak in church. Now these are verses that can sound pretty shocking to our ears. The author Claire Smith, who's, who's done a great book um, looking at these verses, amongst others, says, as a new Christian, the first time I heard this passage, I couldn't believe my ears, and to be honest, I'm not sure it was only the first time. Well, perhaps that's how you're feeling this morning. But as I've been thinking about these verses, chatting to others, well, I think my best understanding is they're actually applying principles all, that Paul has already spent half a chapter, the first half of chapter 11, building up, setting up and explaining which probably makes sense of why he's so brief here, because he's just been thorough three chapters earlier. And so over the next few minutes, I hope we'll see these verses are in fact good for us. They're good for building up the church, because they're about men and women honoring the different God-given roles that they have as they work together in interdependence to build the church. It's about a life together that brings honor and not shame. And that's actually where Paul lands it in verse 35. Did you see? If there's anything that they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it's shameful for a woman to speak in church. It's about honor and not shame. And actually, that's the attitude that's been flowing right, flowing right through chapters 11 to 14. Because Paul's been helping the Corinthians grasp their identity, equality, unity, as well as difference and variety in the body. He's calling them to be building together in order and honor rather than competition and self-promotion. He wants them to be valuing one another, using gifts in love, the whole body contributing, not squeaking and grating like a rusty bike chain, but humming well like a well-oiled machine. So let's try and see this in verses 34 and 35. Firstly, are these verses actually saying women should never speak in church? Well, you can tell from our gathering this morning that we think the answer is no. And in the context of chapter 11 and the verses just before, I think that underlines it. Chapter 11, Paul says he's clear and he expects women to be praying and prophesying in the gathering. And we've seen in verse 28 and verse 30 here, the word silence isn't saying never speak, it's saying be willing to choose not to speak at particular times. 
There are times to choose not to speak for the sake of building up. It might be when you have a tongue and no interpretation, or a prophecy and someone else has one too. Or I think here in verses 33 through 35, it's in the context of weighing prophecy. Remember the structure, the second half of verse 29 being worked out through these verses, how to weigh prophecy. And so Paul's saying, in normal life of the church, we need men and women to be speaking in various ways, but in settings like weighing prophecy, women should be willing to choose not to speak as we seek to honor the different roles that God has given us in the church. Well, so what are these roles? And how can we be sure this isn't just a cover for sexism and misogynism? Well, it's because it's rooted in God's good creation. Verse 33, Paul says this should be taken seriously in all the churches, as in all the churches of the saints. And it's because it's rooted in the law. Verse 34, they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. The law here, well, it's talking about the Old Testament, and the place Paul's referring to is Genesis chapter 1 and 2. That's where he went in chapter 11, and so he's, I think he's referring to the same place now, to creation. And there are three key things to understand about who God has made us as men and women, which show us why this is good. Men and women are equal, and men and women are mutually interdependent, and men and women are also different. So equal, Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 says, God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. And this is the ultimate and immovable basis for equality and dignity, in fact of every single human being, born or unborn, for men and for women, every single one, made in the image of God. Equality has nothing to do with roles or ability. It has everything to do with being image bearers of our maker. Equality. And then mutual interdependence. Genesis chapter 2 goes on to say, The Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. God created men and women to work together in complementary ways to rule his world. The idea of helper is not a demeaning one. God himself in the Bible is described as a helper to his people. And that doesn't make God less valuable. A woman was, given, was made as the perfect helper to man for the work God has given. Well, to put it another way, building God's temple is not a male task or a female task. It requires men and women working together in mutual interdependence. Paul says it in chapter 11, um, I think it's verse, let's flick back, verse, um, verse 11. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not interdependent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. So building with gold, building with silver, building the body, it needs men and women equal and interdependent, but honoring the different roles God has given us. So Genesis 2 also shows the order of how men and women relate. And it's particularly expressed in marriage and in the church. In marriage, God has given the husband the role of what the Bible calls headship. That is leadership in the marriage, which to be expressed in self-sacrificial love for his wife. Imitating Christ's 
self-sacrificial love. He gave his life on the cross. And wives are to submit to the leadership of their husbands, and that is to seek to honor and to support his role to lead the household. And it's always to be voluntary. It's not to be coerced. And there's a reflection of this order in the church too. The key chapters to read later, if you want to, are 1 Timothy chapter 2 and 3. But here's the headline. It's like God has given the role of elder or overseer, those with leadership authority in the church, to men. And that is reflecting the household pattern God set up in Genesis 2 and that's reflected in marriage. And so when we're back here in 1 Corinthians 14, well, we find a situation where the church is gathered, prophecy is heard, it's being weighed, and it seems that, well, these roles are not being honored in some way. There's not a lot of detail exactly what that looks like. Perhaps women are challenging the place of their husband or the church leader when it comes to that moment of weighing prophecy. And so Paul says, let's have honor instead. And so I think when we're thinking about the others in verse 29, the others who weigh prophecy, well, in one sense, it's just those who are gathered, men and women. I don't think these verses are at all saying women shouldn't be engaged in discussions as we respond to scripture. But they're saying it's about honoring different roles, letting men lead in the roles that God has given them. And that may then steer the decision not to speak at certain times. Well, so what does this look like in our life together at St. Helens? Well, I've been wrestling with how much to try and sort of give an example, how much to um, try and set out a picture of this. Um, Here are some scenarios that I hope will help us think through these principles, because there are lots of different settings that we'll want to think about it. So here are some scenarios. Do keep thinking about these. I'd love to hear um, what you think. So perhaps in small groups, a husband speaks words that build up in response to Scripture. The group weigh it against Scripture, but his wife isn't sure. Well, rather than challenge him in the group, she seeks to honor him and chooses not to speak then. And perhaps later on asks, well, I wasn't sure about that comment you made. Could you explain your thinking? And it strikes me that men, if, if our wives are uh, married men, if our wives ask us a question like that in private, well, we're not to be taking that as an affront because our wife is behaving in a truly spiritual way and she seeks to build up the church. We need to be willing to make time for those kind of conversations. And you could imagine in this scenario, well, perhaps next week in this small group, the husband says, my wife and I chatted about this after the study last week and she made a good point. And I think it will really help us. It's full of honor, a clear valuing of one another. Or perhaps someone else shares a prophecy, the group consider it against scripture, and then the male group leader takes the lead and draws things together, but his female co-leader disagrees. But her desire is to honor, and it seems that might be the time to choose not to speak, and then to have the conversation offline. I wasn't sure about that. Could you run your reasoning past me? Or in the church council meeting, prophecy is considered. Men and women discuss, but women let the church leadership make that final decision. And if they disagree, well, then it seems that wives would talk to their husbands at home, or perhaps single women would speak to a church leader at a suitable time outside the gathering. I hope those examples might be helpful as we think about it. And I think those are some of the ways that I've seen this worked out in our life together here. 
It will look different in different settings. It will have different dynamics in different marriages. But the principles are there, honoring the roles that God has given us as men and women. Honor as we relate, order as we speak, interdependent flourishing, spiritual building. And we'll do this as we acknowledge Paul's words. This is our final point. Verse 36. Was it from you that the word of God came, or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. Paul's pretty strong in his challenge to the Corinthians' pride and their self-promotion. And he's saying, if you won't listen to me, well, you're saying that you think you sit above God's word. The weighing of prophecy is rooted in scripture, the content, but also the behavior of the prophet. Will they listen to Paul's words and imitate his example? Paul's words have the authority of Jesus. Real prophets, those who are eager for spiritual things, will submit, them, submit themselves to them. And so I think this means a person who claims to be a prophet but domineers others, the person who sets themselves up above challenge or correction, the person who won't listen to others or won't allow their words to be judged against Scripture, well, Paul says, not a prophet. Where there might be situations um, where someone is claiming the gift of prophecy and actually, well, it turns into a situation of manipulation and power, power being imposed. Well, this is very liberating. That behavior says, not a prophet. And you're not bound by their words. If they won't behave in submission to scripture, imitating Paul's example of loving self-sacrifice, well, they're not being spiritual and they're resisting Jesus as Lord and so Paul says, don't recognize them, because God doesn't. Verse 38, if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So Paul says, spiritual builders are orderly. Spiritual builders submit to scripture. And so let's be spiritual builders. Let's keep building. It's a grand project, the temple of God, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, And it will last forever. There's some verses on the handout. We're not going to go through them. But if you get a chance, you'll just see that all the way through the letter, as Paul talks about building and use of gifts, the future is in view. And that means it's worth it. It's worth the hard work. It's worth the sacrifice. It's worth the costly, loving service. Because the church is building for the day when Jesus returns and presents it to his father. Let all things be done for building up. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege to be your people, building your church as we speak your words to one another. Please help us to do so with humility and love and honor and order so that your church might be built up and built out as we look towards the day the Lord Jesus will deliver his kingdom to you and will enjoy the fullness of life with you forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.